Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Hey guys, before we get to the episode with Britt, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, which is Circle Rock. Circle Rock is a men's clothing brand that sells all sorts of things from blazers to dress shirts to vests, winter jackets, all that sort of deal. So if you're looking to purchase uh, some sort of menswear for someone in your life for a holiday gift, uh, Circle Rock is a good place to go. You can seek out Circle Rock online at circlerock.com. They are also... Um, based locally in Minneapolis and Southwest Minneapolis at Circle Rock's House of Style. If you are wanting to purchase from them, you can use the code ZONE25 today and receive a $25 gift card good for your next Circle Rock purchase. Again, that's the code ZONE25 for $25 off. Now let's get to the show. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by zonecoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Our presenting sponsor is again Circle Rock Menswear. You can check out what Circle Rock has to offer at circlerock.com. Britt Robson in studio for our, what is that, bi weekly? Is that how you say it? I believe so. Bi weekly, twice, twice a month, Monday um, appearance. You wrote a piece on David Vantapool last week that we. Teased a while ago. <laughs> Took you a while to execute. Oh, it certainly did. Um, I want to talk about that, but just to kind of lead into the defense of, of this team, and obviously we, well, we'll, I'm sure we'll meander our way around this team and everything that's going on. Right. But, but I found that the defense of this past month to have been fascinating in its effectiveness, at least from a statistical you know, perspective. And, I mean, I think everyone who's listening to this knows – that it's been good, and with Cat, it was bad numbers-wise, right. and that all really does tie into David Vantable and the system and right. and and everything. And I guess for you, what what have you made of this defensive run, and how do you see it connecting to what you gathered from your two-hour or whatever conversation with David Vantable? I think the what really turn the key on the story for me was uh, not so much, I mean, two hours with Vanderpool, one hour and 55 minutes to be exact, but um, got a lot of great stuff. And then I, I, subsequent to that, I talked to Rosas. And he was the one that gave me the two quotes there in the beginning of the story, which to me unlocks everything, which is, if we don't develop our offensive and defensive identities 
and our way of developing talent this season, we will have failed. He doesn't talk about wins and losses. He didn't at media day for that matter. Yep. He likes the idea that uh, they've won games. He doesn't want to lose games, I don't think, at least at this point. We sure. can talk about that a little bit later. But um, I do think that an offensive and defensive identity is crucial to him. Obviously, getting Vanterpool was crucial to him. They did a lot of significant things to get him here. Um, and then he said, our defense... Uh, our defensive identity is designed to stop things that our offense wants. Which essentially is the, the offense is prioritizing attack, getting shots at the rim and three-pointers. Right. And fouls preferably, if they get them. Yeah, right. Preferably corner threes. Exactly. And so the idea, what's brilliant about that in my view is that basketball is a holistic game. Uh Offense and defense flows into each other. It's not true in baseball. It's not mm. true in football. It's a little bit true in hockey, but a, a, a great goalie can always help you there. Uh, team defense and team offense, people need to know the precepts of both in order for a team to be successful. When Rosas came here, he said top 10 on offense, top 10 on defense is what you need to make the playoffs. He always knew there'd be a balance. And so... What I got out of it was um, Vanterpool, this this is his marching orders, and some of it has to do with the fact that the reason they Rosas wanted him so much is because he had a system that Vanterpool sees, I mean, uh, Rosas sees as a way to develop a defensive identity that they can work with. Now, the flaw in that um, is Cat. The flaw in that is that... Um, in order to have, and, and, and to, to make a quick recap, um, Vanterpool believes in, in, in switching most positions. Of the five positions on the floor, the center position switches by far the least. Yeah. And that's because it's... I think only on accident. I mean, only in, only in scrams, essentially. Uh, or um, I, w- I was told a little bit, uh, not by Vanterpool, but other players, like if there's a Brook Lopez and sure. a Giannis, mm-hmm. then, you know, you want to be able to send right. your five out if you have to. Um, but right, rare instances. And so the other thing I thought was really good about finding that angle is that everybody's talked about the offense and the way the offense, we know the template for the offense and we know they don't have any three-point shooters and except for the bigs. And so you know that they're prioritizing system over personnel. Well, the same dynamic, only to a slightly less dramatic degree, is happening on defense. They have a system. They do not have a center that, that fits that system. In Portland, Vanterpool had a 7-foot, 290-pound Yusuf Nurkic. Cat uh, is generously listed at 6'11". I think he's probably 6'10", 248. Uh, you know, I think that may even be a little generous. Yeah, it's certainly not sculpted or, or not rock solid the way Nurkic seems to be. Um, so, which is all to say that once you have the frame, stop what the offense is trying to create, which means stop three pointers, stop plays at the rim. Um, then you begin to see how he goes about trying to apply that. I uh, the very, the first game of the season was in was in Brooklyn, 
and they're, they're playing the, the Nets and, and Kenny right. Atkinson is the coach there, right? Right. So I remember, you know, before that game asking Atkins, because in my mind, when I think of Kenny Atkinson, right, I think of how Brooklyn went from Lionel Hollins and they switched into the most modern. They shot all these threes, efficiency be damned. They, they just totally flipped the switch. So I've always drawn that, you know, Lionel Hollins, Tibbs, right. Kenny Atkinson, Ryan, that sort of parallel. And I, I wrote about that after the first game. And then they were the Nets were here, whatever, a couple weeks ago again. And, and I, I asked him another question about, you know, is, was that hard to kind of in the middle of the season once you start having, you know, to, to continue to get people to, to buy into the message of the new system? And I was, in, I was talking about shooting threes. But he was like, you know, I think the important thing you need to remember, or for us, the hardest part, was getting these guys to buy into the defensive spots on the floor hmm. and to convince them to allow guys to, to shoot those, not allow them to shoot the mid-range shots, but to prioritize that. He goes, we had way more difficulty implementing that side of the floor than we did on the offensive side. And so I'm, I'm thinking about that thing, and then and your piece comes out, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, what's, happening. that's what's happened to the Timberwolves is as soon as they started facing any sort of adversity this season, right, then, then they start questioning, man, are we, we're really going to let D'Angelo also come in and shoot all these, all these mid-range shots? And it is what derailed them. They do seem to have rebought into that in this catless month. Right. And I think that's encouraging and a testament to Vanterpool and Ryan right. Saunders for, for sticking stick to itness. I agree. And I think that... Vanterpool says in the he told me and I quoted in the piece, um, if they take fifty shots from the places on the floor we want them to take them and they make forty nine, that you have to say that's the process. The process is right. How do you feel about that? I like it because I don't think when you're implementing a system in the NBA that you can allow wiggle room yeah. in terms of your schemes. When you're players teaching, are going it, when you're to teaching it. Players are going to take the wiggle room anyway to some extent when you're teaching it, exactly. But also the teaching has to go to the ingrainment stage. Mm -hmm. I think that the players now know, but I do think, as Atkinson pointed out, and that's, that's a great anecdote, by the way, to background this, because uh, – Vanterpool spent most of his time. He was not going to tell me about specific schemes because, like most people, even though he admitted that everybody kind of knows the right thing, but he wasn't going to get specific with me. And a couple of the players got a little specific, but not too much. Um, but he did want to talk about you can't break the system. You can't mess with the process as it now stands. And that's what he spent the vast majority of his time when we weren't doing bio stuff or mm -hmm. where his philosophies and everything came from on the nuts and bolts of the wolves. That's where he, he wanted the focus. And appropriately so, because he does have a center in Carl Anthony Towns who's terrible at it. I mean, is somebody who um, believes himself to be better than he is, especially when it comes to mobility, especially when it comes to decision-making. Mm -hmm. um, he is mobile, but his decision-making makes him makes his mobility work against him as often as it makes it work mm -hmm. for him. Um, and having Gorgie Jang, who's done this Timberwolves organization a great favor by indicating what can happen when you follow yeah. orders and you do what the system wants you to do. I 
so this is, I mean, for, for you and I, we've been, we've been talking about this for whatever, like four months now. It was kind of our pet project of like, oh, you hired this. I think it's right. partially what inspired you to want to write this piece. Without a doubt. Was I mean, this is, this is the guy, this was the guy who, uh, Rosas' first major hire. Yeah. And um, I subsequently have learned as a result of the reporting on the story, they wooed the hell out of him. I mean, they, you know, they basically said, look, we know you're going to be a head coach. It was almost like, you know, we know you're going to be here a year or two. Right. Uh, we'll set you up to be a head coach. That's that's our that's our Game plum. That. Oh, that's our ride the, treatment. Because, uh, I mean, the 76ers, you know, who were one of the two best, two or three best teams in the East, at least people thought so at the beginning of the year, yeah. um, they were looking at the finals, probably conference finals. Vanderbilt was in the conference finals last year with Portland. Uh, so you could set him up saying, hey, you're going to be an associate head coach. Vanderpool told me, I don't think it was off the record. It isn't now anyway, uh, that he was offered associate head coach. No, you, you, you put coach. that in the story. Okay, okay, yeah. good. And so um, anyway, they have a system that uh, works to, to some extent. And So so this is, this is what I thought was – because we were talking about this and – we're going back and looking at Portland, and we've drawn the Yusuf Nurkic comparison, and and there was all this talk about switch, 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 and you know, you and I have been saying, well, that's not what Portland did. That's what we're in in the fall. We're saying that's not what Portland did. They dropped, they dropped Nurkic as much as any team dropped their big. And I was like, I highly doubt they went and grabbed David Vanterpool, who's coached Nurkic for the past few years, and said, you know. Now we're going to be have a switch-heavy system. So there's always that lingering. What I think surprised me most about the story was just is his like ardent belief in that process specifically. Mm-hmm. I I would have just guessing my guess at the time would have been they're going to have a a, a drop scheme. They're going to keep Cat back as much as possible, but on the margins they're going to be they're going to try different sort of things. They are going to be switchy, dynamic in that sort of way, and. But Vanderpool is essentially saying in this story is no, solid is enough. Right. There, yes, there will be adjustments made, but that that is not a defining characteristic of, of this defense. And, and a key wrinkle in what you're saying and the, the perception, I hope the story left to some extent, this is not in it. There's a lot of things in the story that, you know, my great disappointment about not getting the things in the right way in some respects, but... Vanterpool scorns people who call it a drop scheme. He does not think that he's dropping Cat. He said, he teased it. He said, we do a lot of other things with it. Uh, in other words, it's not Cat standing underneath the rim or anything yeah. like that. I think he does think that there is some interesting. It, you, you, drop, can't, drop you can't. It's like a basic terminology, like cover, I know. cover no, two. I know, in football. I know. Yeah. But it is something that um, he doesn't like the implication that Cat just stands under the rim and waits for people to get funneled into him. He is basically saying that Cat has mobility responsibilities and maybe even has some coverage responsibilities that will involve switches, but it's not going to be a situation where um, it's an automatic thing. I think the reason why this team is so jealous about keeping Robert Covington at the four is because in order to keep Cat in line as much as possible, 
you want to have a front court mate who, one, he really likes personally, two, he really trusts, Mm -hmm. and three, makes good decisions and is a pretty good combo forward. He can play the 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 basics of the power forward position pretty well. Um, so, I, and can switch one through four. Two questions. Okay. First, do you think that David Vanterpool will ever use Cat in the four role of this defensive scheme? I think that depends on Cat. This is my opinion more than Vanterpool's opinion, but it's opinion that has been mostly developed after talking to Vanterpool for more than two hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, for less than about 155 or whatever it is I said. Cat um, can't have wiggle room. Cat needs to learn what he needs to learn, mm-hmm. and then we'll talk about whether he can learn something else. Sure. But if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing at the five. He has to become a solid five before he can even fancifully Cat's problem is not that he is not adventurous enough. Cat's problem is that he is wildly adventurous. If you suddenly put him in a position where the four is one of their – I mean, when when Jake Lehman started laying out how they switch, Mm -hmm. every single switch he mentioned involved the four. Yeah. The only position besides the five, I mean, the only position where he would say that, he'd say, you know, we switch one through four, we could sometimes switch two through four and even three through four sometimes. Mm-hmm. But there's no, he doesn't ever say, we only switch the one and the two now, you know? Yeah, I mean. So to have cat, yeah, have all these options, you know, when it's been pretty well demonstrated throughout cat's career that when cat is on the roam, you're really gambling. You are roulette wheeling it. And if you start to roulette wheel it, that's Vanterpool's worst nightmare. If you start to put um, Caprice into the system, you are blowing up his shit. And so for yeah. those reasons, unless Carl Anthony Towns becomes a very, very capable five in the core scheme of what Vanterpool is doing – I do not see him doing that. If he does do that, it's a tribute to Gorgie Jang and Robert Covington being so good at what they do that Vanterpool has decided to significantly compromise his system to see if the a, a very good five and a very good three can help Cat become a decent four. What, what I see at, at the four position is, and I think that's why Jake's, I think there's three variations of the four on this team. And there's the Jake Lehman four. Who did it very well. Who Jake Lehman and I would put Kata in this bin too, where they are just objectively undersized fours. Right. So the system compensates for that or tries to take an advantage of that. And also know the system. Know the system by, by being very switchy more. In that sense, it's more it, it's more an additional wing. I think, I think then we've seen some, not a lot, but there is the other type of four role, which is like, when Jordan Bell has been out there and the other times when there's been some time when they play two traditional bigs and it's a little bit more bruising. They, they like it when it's Jordan Bell and it, it's why we've seen that the most because he can also be switching. He can switch that one through four. Right. Then there's this fusion of the two, which maybe only one person can do it, is Robert Covington. Right. He can be the traditional big and he can be the Jake Lehman, Kata, switchy sort of guy. And that's what they had hoped for from Jordan Bell. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember the preseason gush 
about Jordan Bell's defense. He can guard one through five. Jordan Bell, I think, is disliked, and I have no direct knowledge of this. For the record, I tried, I poked Vanterpool numerous times by saying my opinion, pretty strong, frank terms about what I thought about certain guys on defense or offense. And pretty much he'd signal me with a smile whether or not he thought it was accurate or not. (laughs) But not to the point where I could say, and he agreed with me on this. It is my belief that Jordan Bell does not get the minutes on defense because he's way too undisciplined and is like the Josh Okogie of forwards. Sure. And so I think... I think Jordan playing is more a Ryan thing than it's a Vanderpool thing. Ryan obviously really likes him a lot. And and there's some things, there are times where, where an Okogie or a Bell, you put in there to stir stuff up. But yeah. again, if, if, if Vanderpool, I don't think Pugioni minds a, a little stirring. Ryan certainly likes to stir. Mm-hmm. Vanderpool, I do not think likes to stir. So, with Covington, who I, I think has been phenomenal, he's been great this this month without Cat, and the numbers all back it up. I pulled up their their nine best two man lineups. Six of them have Covington in it. It's basically every player is is positive with Covington, and then not if if they're not with him. Right, That's and 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 what is most impressive about Covington, in my view, is that it was obvious that. Covington at the three was able to do so much in terms of blowing up mm-hmm. possessions. Yeah. And that he played next to Cat and you were going, oh, you know, he's really, he's buried at the four. He's playing out of position. Well, you put him next to a five who knows what he's doing and he's starting to blow up possessions again in terms of what he's able to do because he doesn't have to cover somebody's rear end all the time. I, I say that the good thing about Covington and, and, and echo that to like then follow up with a teardown. Yeah. I I think this shows up when we watch the games and it certainly shows up statistically that Covington is not a rim defender in the least. Right. And I don't know to what degree that's problematic for for the future. Obviously, whatever. It's it's work this month. But but I have like a pin in that to be to be concerned that if he is a zero as a rim protector, I don't think he's a zero. Well, I, I, okay, I, I I don't think he's a zero either, but I think it's I think it's close. And certainly stats say that he is. of Of all the players in the league who contest three field goals a game in the restricted area, uh-huh. the only player with the worst defensive field goal percentage is Buddy Heald mm-hmm. than Robert Covington. Opponents are shooting seventy three point nine percent from from the restricted area when Robert Covington is in the vicinity there. Mm-hmm. That is a a terrible, terrible number. Yes. Now, again, that stuff, those numbers can be, those numbers can be wonky. It's still not even a half of a season played. No, I mean, uh, that number next to last among everybody, which means way last among big men, because Buddy mm-hmm. Hill is a combo yep. guard, um, is significant. Uh then you ask yourself, how in the world is the team playing such great defense if he's such a zero as the rim mm-hmm. protecting? Uh, because what you're saying is um, 75% on at least three shots a game there means 
guaranteed two buckets his man is getting right over him. Yeah. Meanwhile, the team in general is playing really well. I mean, relatively, but also actually more than relatively, the team is playing among the top five defenses in the NBA yeah. for the past month. Third, yep. So, um, but I think then you, you tie it to, so then you, I, I think if he is a, maybe not a zero, but if that is in his strength, right. you need to, you need to tie him up to a good rim defender. Yes. And, and that's not Cat. I, I agree with that, but Cat has better rim defense numbers every season of his career than Gorgie Jang does. Yes. And we think about Gorgie as the better, you know, the better shot blocking option. And I, I do believe that, but there is, I mean, literally talking about Cat's entire career, which he's played with Gorgie every year, it's always Cat defends the rim in that sense better. Where, where the defense breaks down is, is in literal breakdowns where Cat over pursues and then it's swing, swing, open threes. The team teams make a ridiculously high amount of three pointers right. when Cat is on the floor. Okay, so let's think of it this way. Um, and I have what I have no way of knowing this, and you know how stats are. To me, the worst part by far of Cat's interior defense is his decision making on when to 100%. chase and when to come out on somebody, when to stay home, all that other stuff. What is? Do you believe it's possible that every single time, or not every single time, but a right. vast majority of the time, Cat is coming out to contest? Rocco is flying in to try to stop Cat's guy. They feed Cat's guy, and he scores on Rocco, and boom, seventy-three percent at the rim. I would, I would tend to agree with that. But then I, so that that's what I was thinking, and then I looked up Rocco's numbers, and Even last without, season, yeah. like past seasons. Back to Philadelphia, it was bad. He's always well. One of the things I he will didn't play say, power forward there, so I don't know. I mean, one it's of the just, things I will say about Rocco is he does. There comes a point where he'll give up on a guy. In other words, he plays great defense, yep. but if a guy has beaten him, there is very rarely a case where Rocco makes a stupid n one foul, mm-hmm. as opposed to Cat. Right? No, I, I agree with that. I, I just. No, he has, I, he has I, different, that's he has, a great conversation because I, first strengths. of all, I was not aware at yeah. all that Rocco's numbers were that bad at the rim. Um, and given that uh, he is an undersized four, uh, right? <laughs> you know, it, it would sound like a gasoline on a fire. Um, he is he's so and particularly this month, we've, we've seen it. He his 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 thing that pops most is his ability to literally steal the ball. Whether it be a rip away, playing, you know, playing passing the lanes. The strips but, are but incredible. He's, he's are incredible. But also, I was just, you know, thinking about he, he's gotten a lot more time guarding opponents, main guy. The, he guarded Harden right away from the right. start in the right. last game. Right. In that fourth quarter against the Clippers, I thought he was excellent against Kawhi Leonard. Right. He it's not just the steals. He is so disciplined with his feet as a one-on-one defender. And his eyes. And his, I mean, and and he does. You know, you know the cliche of all coaches: put your hands up on defense. Right. He doesn't believe in that at all. No. He believes in keeping his arms down as low as possible because that's where the ball normally goes—a right. bounce pass or a dribble. And it's it's bro. I mean, he's a he's a wizard. He he's he's really a, a wizard at those things. And I think I mean I don't I don't know if he's going to get it this year because the Wolves in well, the, we'll aggregate, have the defense right. 
but I think he's I think he's playing as an all defensive level level again as an individual defender. Backed backed. I mean, just encouraging for the Timberwolves as a whole is right. is I think we can dispel the concerns we had about his injuries. Right. He is this month. He's playing like. An all he NBA defensive well, player, and, right? and 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 you know there were some concerns initially of, of him, like oh yep. you know where is he, where is he, and and we also had this super inflated idea of what he could be because he was so good right when he got here last year, but I think he's, I think he's been so good. I think he fits so well with bad players, which is a a, a great skill of yes. a of a defensive player, and he's just such a he's such a critical cog in this defense now. And going forward, and it's a, it's a fascinating connection to Cat because in theory, you're like, oh, let's have the power forward be. If Cat's not very good defensive center, let's have our power forward be awesome at defense. Insert Robert Covington. That's great, but he isn't he isn't necessarily good at the things that Cat needs. Or he's not great at the things that Cat needs him to be great at. He's just a great defender overall. Of that. But if you have five guys who are committed to stopping the yep. rim, good point. Then it isn't a two-man game down there. I mean, if yep. you're conceding the mid-range, that helps you protect the rim really well. Yeah, um, you know, if which is probably why cat. Did I tell you that cat's numbers are elite defending the rim this year? <laughs> <laughs> like like last year, last year the best You're in the league preparing was preparing us for the inevitable pushback from Cat when we start to talk to him. And <laughs> I just it's it's the forty nine percent at the rim, which is I mean if you're under fifty percent, that's elite elite. And I do I do think that's part of it is so much of when Cat played, it was teams were just it was the beginning of the year and teams were taking all these mid rangers against him, and then the looks they were getting weren't as good. And on also, the interior. I think the real key to that also is shots defended. If you don't defend somebody, you're not getting shots made on you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're out there guarding the guy who's about to get a dime by, you know, nutmegging you into, uh, (laughs) you know, some guy getting in, then, Uh, you know. um, It's just this this whole, this month, I mean, that that the Wolves got absolutely destroyed by Houston the other night and that they're still in this 13-game run without cap third in defense right, is crazy. I don't think – well, it's one of those cases where the eye test and the numbers I, yep. work. I mean, if you watch Carl Anthony Towns, the LeBron James Anthony Davis pick and roll, watching Carl Anthony Towns trying to defend that, I could have defended it just as well. And same same with Luca in that Dallas game. I mean, same, uh, against Luca in the Dallas game against it was Dwight Powell, yep. and also last year when Trey Young and uh, Collins yep. just totally destroyed him. If you put him in a fluid situation where he's got to choose, where you have a great uh, dribble penetrator who is around his man and is a good decision maker, it doesn't matter what Cat does; they will burn you. Which, in Cat's defense, a super difficult thing to do. It is. But Very it is the thing that— about. It's the thing he's the worst at. It, it, and also the thing that he almost makes flagrant because he—, he When Cat commits, he commits, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Cat's uh, island is swallowed up in flood pretty mm. quickly. <laughs> That's true. You know? And so— uh, And he makes, the de- he makes the decision of the guy with the ball— easier 
You know, another thing you wrote in the story, and I think people can have that you know that are paying close attention probably noticed is that Wiggins and Vanterpool are very tight. Wiggins, Vanterpool is Wiggins's individual coach, and it totally seems like something close to what was happening with Vanterpool with Damian Lillard. That's what he's trying to duplicate. Is I would say there's there's tenets of that that are showing up with Wiggins, right. and. And, you know, credit to Wiggins. I think his defense has been way better this year. Much better. I mean, the awareness is the thing. The what thing- about but, – but, but what about applying that to Cat? Like, why not Vantapool isn't getting – Cat isn't getting the individual treatment from – to my knowledge, that's not, like, his guy. I think Vantapool is very, very big into accountability. Okay. What do you mean by that? I mean that I don't think Cat likes accountability. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, I just don't know if a coach can get in Cat's face and make it work. Now, that's what used to be said about Wiggins all the time. Sam Mitchell famously said, you know, you do not want to poke Wiggins. Wiggins, that's yeah. not the way to work. Now, also, I think that Vanterpool, almost everybody who talked to me about Vanterpool was saying, and he played, so he knows how it goes. Well, Vanderpool was not a good player by the standards of most coaches that sure. are players. He he lasted 411 minutes in the NBA as a 27-year-old rookie. Um, but he brandishes that because it's a way for him to show his on-court knowledge as a wing. Yeah. I don't think he can Do be that, that guy as a big. And so maybe there's that aspect of it. And also... Um, I think that the Dame Wiggins comparison is a little too pat. I mean, it's easy for uh, Vanderpool to say, "Hey, you know." Uh, I know that. Put it this way: when Jake Lehman joined Portland, that's another thing that didn't make it in the story. But he said, "I joined the team, and it was very obvious that Dame and uh, C.J. McCollum and every other wing totally gravitated to this guy." So I was saying. I'm going to go to this guy and figure out what's going on here, you know. And so he is kind of a wing whisperer in that respect. Yeah. Uh, and the system is one where, um, I mean, not Vanterpool is a really good coach. Noah Vonley, who's a big, swears by him in terms of Vanterpool showed him. And Vonley played in Portland. Some too, off, yeah. offensive moves and some defensive moves, how to yeah. how to footwork and everything. So Vanterpool is not a one-trick pony, but I do think that both his reputation and where he can do the most good right now anyway is, is in enabling Wings to um, buy into a system that is actually, quite frankly, more fun for the Wings yeah. because they can switch um, – and they close out the touch. I mean, that if there is the one improvement in the Timberwolves' defense that seems sustainable, it's that they have a lot of rangy big wings who yeah. don't mind playing defense, especially now that Wiggins doesn't seem to mind, <laughs> and uh, that you don't have the Tibbs system of, uh, you know, the way he played. Instead, you have the, a very basic system that you basically – you body a guy up. You run to arm's length. You close out the yeah. touch, and then you deny the dribble. I mean, you, you encourage the dribble. You deny the shot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that statistically is where the Wolves have made their greatest improvement. Last year, teams shot often and successfully from all three areas of both corners and above the break on threes. This year, the number of attempts is they were like fourth most last year and their third or fourth yeah. least this year. So, uh, and the percentages, while not great, teams are still making, Wolves are like in the middle, maybe just slightly below average in terms of the number of threes made. But the number of three, I mean, percentage-wise, but the number of threes attempted is way down. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that is to the Gerson point. I mean, they are doing those things. Yes. They, they are... They are allowing and their rim, teams, yeah. To, their rim protection is also better. It's not great. They actually allow a few more mm-hmm. attempts at the rim. This is another thing that's kind of curious now that we're talking about this, because where the Wolves have vastly improved this year is not in reducing rim shots. It's in the percentage that yeah. teams are getting. So if if Rocco sounds like Rocco is giving them all up and everybody else is doing great. <laughs> yeah, I don't, it's just that stat has just—it's a weird out outlier. It, it it is weird because other than that, it's I think Rocco's played perfect. Yeah. Well, again, you know, and it's if there's anybody who is going to uh, be a fall guy, it's going to be Rocco because he is going to try to stop something from happening, right. and he may be like the the safe the free safety who comes over and gets burned. Right. "Quote unquote," when the cornerback totally blows coverage in football. Or yeah, something. I think there's probably some of that. It's just the the number is like yeah, and seventy three percent is seventy. You know, seventy four yeah. just about yeah. rounding up. That's a that's a ridiculous number. Anybody who can get seventy four percent at the rim. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. That is fifty percent from three, right. pretty much. Yes. Yeah. Um, Brit Stewart. There's a lot more that goes on in that story. It's fifty five hundred words and full of. Um, un- Abnormal for you, full of a lot of quotes, yeah. Which are which are all very um, informative for me. For me, I don't know if you if you're somebody listening to this and you're you're interested, as I am, about how this how this defense works. What is the plan to to make this work alongside Cat, or just what is the plan? This is the first real information details we've been given of, of what exactly the plan is. So if that is your thing, I very much um, recommend taking the time to sit down and, and read that because, you know, this is now this become for me, this becomes my baseline understanding of, you know, I, I had my beliefs of what they were doing, but now they've said it, you know, both right. Rosa's and Vantipo and players quoted in the story of, you know, this is the plan. So, we can hold them accountable to it. Exactly. And um, I, I just think that's interesting. So I, I had yeah. wished – I was a little disappointed, especially given all the time he gave me, that I couldn't get into specifics of schemes a little bit more. I mean I wanted to hear, you know, when you're going – let's say you're switching two through four. Yeah. Um, how does the – you know, where does that leave the one? Is the one um, yeah. strictly a helper? Or is, you know, I mean, are you talking because it's Jeff Teague or, I mean, you know, what is the, or, you know, um, when it's like three, four, I can see that a little bit better because there are certain teams that, you know. um, To my eye test, that's the most consistent. Yes. Is is I think the baseline defense is the three and four are freely switching. Or one, four. And that was pretty much indicated that um, 
and I think 1-4 gets said just because you want to involve the guards in the grand plan. But I do agree that— um, But sometimes it isn't because what they want to do, and Ryan has said this, is they want— they want the guard to go over the top of the screen and, and chase. Chase from and also try to block shots. Rear from view contest right, is right, what rear is view what, contest, is right. what Ryan calls it. So right. I what I see most frequently is two through four or three for four through four switching with the one or whoever the, the on ball defender is. Right. Handling trying to handle catch back up after the screen, and then it's the role of the five involved in that action right. to, to kind of I would have liked middle. that stated. I whenever I try to I mean yeah I don't know why I don't know why Vanterpool's way of you know when you're starting to get somewhere and he goes oh now you're trying to dip into the little secret sauce I mean right. you know well, well well but it's like yeah so what is he So tell he, me aggressive communication and unity I mean come on you know that's not right. there's no sauce there man those are the ingredients Co- coaches are always like oddly you know Protective. protective of that sort of stuff. And I'm like, well, okay, so you're hiding this from other teams. Like, they can just turn on the tape. They know what you're doing. And, and scouts are busy yeah, yeah. who know that stuff better than I do yeah, are, are yeah, yeah. chronicling it. Right, right. It's But whatever, that's their prerogative. It would have been nice. I mean, again, but part of it also is, I, in fairness, I'll, I'll give the rebuttal to that, which is those are the things that do change game to game. I mean, the, he did give me the template as to what they want to do every game, and then it becomes, well, you know, I mean, if you have a James Harden, guess what? You know, theoretically we're switching three and four, but really Rocco is on James Harden. Right. And we saw what happened there. I mean, if Rocco is not able to do a lot of switching, your defense is in trouble. Uh, my pushback would be it depends on who the other players are around him. But maybe yes, given this. I mean, you know where I'm at. I, right. I well, put it this way. I think he's best used that way. But he's also used well in other ways too. Put it this way. I think Gorgie Jang has a lot fewer problems with uh, Worker Hartenstein if Roko is hanging around the paint. Sure. You know, and so um, I really like the intention Roko has brought to rebounding this month without Cat. Mm-hmm. Like aggressive attacking the rebound two hand rebounds right. like where where he was there there were times earlier in the year where it was it was softer right you know and i think he's been pushed to be more intentional as a rebounder and he's and also i mean i i, I think i'm ripping cat in a passive aggressive way fairly constantly in this but <laughs> this way it goes cat cares about his rebounds you yeah, know, if, you, well, if you're going to yeah. be yeah, crashing the boards really hard, you might be taking some away. And so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe you're, yeah, that's, I guess, a lot of guys are like that. Well, I mean, it, it, it is a dynamic in sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know what a guy, you, happy guys play better, you know, True. and, um, and, and one of the things I have noticed about Covington, I mean, is with Joe Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns are, Opposite strong personalities, mm-hmm. very very different personalities, but both very very strong, and both love Covington. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Rocco is a guy who goes along, gets along in just the right way. He's been a soldier when it comes to the system. He's constantly defending it. The best thing he gave me uh, was when I asked him um, 
a lot of fans think you should play the small forward still. Uh, do you want to play the four or the three? Does it matter to you? He goes, I need to play the four because I can switch. And that was, that really, that was kind of like the Rosas comment about we take away on defense what we do on offense. If you put a four other than Covington uh, there, that person is going to have to switch a lot. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to switch with a lot of different kinds of people, which is hard. For somebody like Cat or even somebody, I, I actually think, and you know what I felt about Jake Lehman. You and I would have uh, our disagreements about Lehman his first, his very brief time in yeah. uniform. You thought he was a pretty good defender. I didn't. You were right. I mean, what we've learned subsequently is it's a thankless job to be the undersized four. Lehman is, it did it better than anybody but Rocco. Right. You also think the same thing about Cato. You think his defense is better. So I think there's a trend here that you have a better appreciation for what is involved with trying to stop fours and guard threes in the Wolves' defense than I do. I just noticed they're getting burned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but isn't that just kind of like the nature of a, of a switch is you're kind of signing up for a little bit of a disadvantage? But if you're if you're supposed to be good at it, yeah. See, I mean, if put it this way, Lehman and Kada are not fabulous threes either. They are their their flexibility is their virtue. So they better be decent at both ends of that flexibility. Right. I what I what I like about Kada is, you know, we've now we've seen a lot of him for what has been uh-huh. like six weeks that Lehman's been out. Um I think he's improved as an athlete. This year, I think he's uh-huh. in NBA shape, you know. Yep. And and part, you know, speaking of Covington, with you know how he uses his his arms and being as long as he does and being able to be in the passing lanes and that in that sort of way or the dribble lanes, I think Kada has that too. Kada's wingspan's two inches longer. Right. Than I mean, his arms are freaky long. And now with improved athleticism, I'm I'm seeing him being able to move his feet and stay with guys on switches. I I think he. I think he's done a good job on at times with on Devin Booker, on D'Angelo Russell, on on guys like that. And then if you go back and look at the times when he has given up buckets, I remember I was looking at the Devin Booker game specifically, and Kate is on him a bunch. And every time that went wrong, pick and roll, and Cat was out of place, and oh. and you see Kata pointing to him like what, like hands up, <laughs> you were supposed to be there. I so, but but to your point. It isn't showing up in the stats. He right. he has terrible. His counting numbers have been. His terrible. offense is worse. It, that and maybe that's, and that's weird because I mean he isn't hitting like he was when he when he came up from Iowa where he's nailing those corner threes. Yeah. Um, but I agree that Kada is somebody who uh, looks to be um, a serviceable player, which is. A lot better than I had given him credit for coming into the season. And Lehman, you know, I mean, it became tragicomical for a while. If only we had Jake Lehman, everything would be <laughs> fine. But I do think he's been valuable, right. or, and even more so in his absence, um, as the opposite is true of Cat. Um, here's somebody I'll throw out as a person I've disparaged um, 
You know, it's the wonderful thing about watching basketball carefully is you have the right to change your mind. You have a right to be convinced of, of the, you know, your opinion is inaccurate. I thought when Kalen Martin came up, yeah. his first three or four games, he was horrible on defense. I thought he was a one-trick pony, catch-and-shoot three guy. Mm-hmm. Um, his defense has been really good. I was having a conversation um, with a friend last night, actually, just kind of about this. You know what? What are we even really watching here? This the cat's not playing. What? What? what like sell me on you know being engaged with this team? And actually, what he ended up bringing up was these guys. These contract. I mean, these guys who are on these tiny contracts, right? Turning into value. Yeah. Like, I mean, if if they can sign Keelan Martin to one of those cheapy sort of deals where it's like one guaranteed year, three. You know, like the same right. deal that Nas Reed and yep. Jalen Noel is on, and you already have Nas Reed who seems to. You He's know, got be something. something. He's be something. <laughs> but but you've got him. I mean, Nas Reed's deal is literally he gets 900K this year and then exactly. every, then three more years non-guaranteed for, to the team's choice. I mean, that's an awesome deal. Yes, it is. And then if you can get Keelan Martin on that, you kind of have Kata on that right now, not as long into the future. Right. And then, and then Jalen Noel's on one of those too. If you can turn those players into rotation pieces on those deals, that that is a path out of... The salary cap hell. Right. Exactly. Because they need they're gonna need that. And and I hadn't until the conversation, I hadn't really thought of that. I was like, yeah, that if, if we look big picture, if we if we step out of like the game to game zone of right. like, wow, maybe there's something here with Nas Reed. Is that a backup big that this team has for right. no money going forward? If if Kata is a rotation player, even like a ninth man for no money, right. that's meaningful. If Keelan Martin is a rotation player for no money, right. that's meaningful. If Jalen Noel can actually start hitting some threes or show, you know, translate some of what he's done in the G League over to, I mean, that that stuff matters. And I think that is as much a signature of this front office as anything has been thus far. Because I put Jake Lehman in that bin too. Three years on just above no money. Right. Like that. I think I have, and we have all kind of scoffed at this offseason, this past offseason, like, what did you do? Right. Oh, actually, I, I liked it if for no other reason than it saved money. Yeah. I mean, I did, I, I think. Well, it saved f- future flexibility. Right. And so anything you get out of it is a bonus. Well, as yeah. it turns out. Maybe. Well, let's bonuses. remember the second half of what Rosas told me, how the system, I mean, how the year is going to be judged. Establishing an identity on offense and defense and a way of developing players. Mm. Yeah. And so Nas Reed, Keelan Martin, I mean, I think Jordan McLaughlin is the uh, token uh, guy who is not going to make it. Right. But uh, but you have these but guys. He, but even even he serves a purpose. He's always because, got Golden State. Because, well, no, I mean, honestly, seriously, credit to whatever's happened in Iowa. Right. Those guys are seamlessly transitioning over they are. to this to this team when they when they come up and that's because I think they're running really competent or having playing really competently at the G League level and I think Jordan McLaughlin helps that because he should buy He knows Napier. the system, right? Exactly. You know, right, so right. that, you know, that is and that's all been fairly immediate. I mean, we're not even halfway through the year and and that stuff's starting to show up. So, I think there's there's things to question, but that's the that's kind of the I would I put into that's like a so- cool sidelight, right? It I is. agree, and I think that's not just Rosas. That's the Sa- Sasha Gupta and how they why they hired him to be the number two in command. I mean, I think those are the things he's that Sasha is brewing up, right? Where and then and then Rosas is is kind of more on the scouting side, right? Where he's finding those guys to you know to bring in, and then and then it's on the coaching staff to develop them. So I do I do 
think that's... As Cynic would say, those are on the fringes, but I agree with you that... um, Look around the league. All all the teams, every team who's found financial flexibility. Look at Miami. Yeah, totally. Great example. I mean, you know, none. And uh, Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson and all these guys. Now, it would just be... It would be a, a... a legendary, unprecedented thing if the Timberwolves turn somebody like uh, Keelan Martin into, into Robinson. Sure. I mean, then, then you go, all right, Gerson Rosas, you know, there's a chit in your favor. Mm-hmm. Um, they got to sign him, though. <laughs> well, and where is he on his 45 days, do you know? That's not publicly tracked I know he's anywhere. not coming in. Well, I think that's a sign that he's been in Iowa these last few games. Exactly, because they want to keep him. Here's one of the things... And I don't, you know, who knows if this is accurate or this is my speculation. Um, Nas Reed over Vonley the yeah, other night. I thought that was interesting. If they got to lose somebody to get mm-hmm. Keelan Martin. Yeah. Well, let's explain that. So, so if they had a roster spot, I yeah. think they would have signed Keelan to one of those deals yesterday. Exactly. They don't have a roster spot. So then you start going, all right, who's... Who do we have to sacrifice from this roster? Cut cut or trade to a one for zero Hopefully they're waiting a couple weeks before they cut. But you're running out of time on... Well, that's why Keelan may not see the Wolves for a while. Yeah. Yeah, so I do do think it could... But it's... And so then, to finish your thought, though, appropriately finishing my thought before, (laughs) which is that to get that roster spot, you may have to lose Noah Vonley... And then you can sign Keelan Martin to the kind of sweetheart deal you're talking about. Gupta special. That's what I'm a calling Gupta it. Gupta special, right. <laughs> and so assuming that Keelan Martin is not somehow just, uh, you know, pulling a rabbit out of his hat for the last two weeks, he is playing good defense. Yeah. And he has a reputation, you know. He's big, too. I, I wonder if people, like, recognize and that. And that's why I'm thinking, again, that um, he could be in that layman KBD basket. He's oh. a little smaller. Yeah, he's thicker. He might be able to be an undersized four under certain circumstances. Houston would have done it. It was interesting. So uh, Jonathan Charks came when he was here, you know, in the preseason running that right. cat story. He came and did the did the podcast with Charlie and I, and he was like, I had thought I had I had paid no mind to Keelan Martin and Jordan McLaughlin on this team. Right. And and what, what Charks said, he's like, and if it was if this was Houston. Like Keelan Martin, Keelan Martin would be getting a bunch of playing time this year, and they would just, you know, they would just try him, cycle him in and out. Like that's, you know, that's what Houston did, and they by volume developed players. Well, and Daniel House, I, exactly. And I was like, oh, yeah, Daniel House, but it, but I mean, that is totally. I mean, he's Charks was right. Like that's right. That's what you know. That's what's happening, and I think that is a, a credit. You know, a, a, you know, a credit to the philosophy, to, right? To the philosophy, yeah, you're right. Um, I do think. We should touch on the kind of if people are listening, even if they if they're not listening to this before the game tonight, just kind of we finally got a little bit more clarity on the cat situation. Yes, and and you and I haven't really talked about you, your kind of stance on it has been like whatever, whatever. Yeah, right. I mean, because <laughs> I'll believe it when I I'll believe it when I see it. And you know, I th- it's one of those things. Well, my bias is the game. My bias is I don't care who's getting traded, not getting traded. <laughs> I don't care what somebody's salary is, not salary. I mean, I know it's all relevant in the yeah, grand yeah, scheme yeah. of things. 
But when the opening tip happens and the final buzzer happens, yeah. those are my parameters for 90% of the way I want to think about the NBA. So if somebody's questionable and all of a sudden they're remaining questionable for three years and they never play, yeah. um, after a while I just say they're out. You know, right. Let me know when they're going to be playing. Let me know when you've moved them from questionable to probable or something so that they can right. stay on the sidelines another two weeks. But to your point, other people care about this stuff, yeah. especially teams that are preparing to play somebody. Um, if somebody's listed as questionable, that means you do have to scheme a little bit for them if they're going to be a major sure. impact. Particularly if it's cat. If it's cat, exactly, in this case. And so the way that the Wolves have kind of played uh, exceptionally vague in terms of A, how badly hurt is he? B, how rapidly is he or is he not recovering? And C, what are you thinking about in terms of how to get him ready? Mm -hmm. um, none of those things have been dealt with in what I would regard as a manner that shines well on the Wolves organization. Right. I think that the Wolves have... Uh, and, and and I think the the again, I I don't care about it, so I probably am not the best guy in terms of the insight for it. But in my view, that type of behavior costs them more than it gains them. And I think that's kind of played out in in retrospect. And I think it's why Ryan was talking a little bit more freely about it today. Like this, you know, we gotta we gotta address this. This is getting weird. But it has been weird, and that's the thing. It's the fact that yeah, he says it's I, getting weird. It, it, yep. Yeah. And in my yeah, in my I'm with you. In my opinion, it should have been, it should have been named a lot earlier. I think a lot of weird factors went into it. If you just look at like the timing of it, the the losing streak, the weird Strauss quote unquote report comes up about his unhappiness. I in my opinion, it should have been addressed to some degree around then. But the timing they'd they've been losing a bunch. It was it was literally like Christmas, and and they're on the they're on this road trip, so the media isn't really there. There's a lot of weird factors, but what I've come to understand the situation was is that he was for sure the, the injury was something that was definitely going to sideline him for a chunk of like a, a small chunk of games at the beginning. They 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 didn't know, but but the thought was that it was going to be sort of like a a three to five game absence. Right. And then there was a chance that then, which would have been like Christmas, right? Then right. that road trip that he, you know, he could have come back. And that was the, that's when, and, you know, that's the questionable tag on it. And what happened is the knee didn't respond as on the, the best path possible. Right. It was, it, it's taken, it's proven to take, take longer that his knee remained a problem. And it turned into like the month-long window of him being ready to play, which was on the longer side of their initial prognosis. Could have more of that been stated? Yes. Does it have to be? No. They also didn't know it was a fluid situation all along. So now we're at this point where Cat should be back, where they're, they're planning on him being back. And now he has... He's sick. He's sick. Right, and he was sick, in, and they went out of their way to explain that to us today. Yes, at the at the shoot around, um, one of the few things I got out of the shoot around. Um, it was chaotic. <laughs> eh. 
The camera, the football cameras. Viking yeah, that, well, over, yeah, yeah. Viking season's over, so uh, you know we. Uh, I, I yeah. Intimacy. I, is I, lost. I get really snobbish about. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, you're gonna come and ask the the uh, five cent question and and get your two second sound bite, yeah. and meanwhile, you know, I can't hear anything because I've got seventy five cameras around me and I'm way in the back. Yeah. But I'm glad I didn't say anything. Uh, I think that you have a situation now, Cat is ill and seeing Andrew Wiggins, everybody said a flu for a week, you know, and I was one of those people too until I saw Wiggins when he came back. Mm -hmm. The guy is emaciated. I mean, he had, he had things going on with him during that week he was out and he's a weakened individual. So it may just be something really, really nasty. And I do, in fairness to the organization, do want to hark back to say this predates Rosas. Yeah. Um, Ricky Rubio, that infamous ankle injury uh, where um, our, our colleague Kent Youngbud for the Strib reminded us today that uh, it wasn't until Jim Suhan basically said – um, Ricky Rubio must be a, a punk, a uh, weak, you know, because he's been out, you know, with this injury that they say isn't very much. And then the very next day, first of all, co then Coach Flip Saunders got mad at the column. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, well, Rubio's injury situation got clarified right quick. So they, you know, the, these games happen. Uh, it does not reflect on well on the game players. I'm sure given the stakes involved that there's probably good financial and uh, team unity or whatever reasons for this happening. But if I were a fan trying to lay down, uh, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, these, uh, the money, even like you can't get a seat for below 75% face value because of this plan they have, which to me, I mean, that's, you want to rip something. That's the thing you rip. Um, you're not generating fans that way. If you're not being straight with people, if your son wants to go see Carl Anthony Towns yeah. and you lay out 120 bucks for two tickets and Carl Anthony Towns, questionable, questionable, isn't playing, well then, you know, how often are you going to be loyal to this organization moving forward? So it can be a cut off your nose to spite your face thing. And... And as we've talked about before, I mean, there's a there's a lot of things that this franchise needs to implement, like Rosas was talking about, a, a syst an offensive and defensive system, right. a, a commitment to player development, but also, and they recognize this, I mean, they... Transparency. I mean, whatever, whether it's transparent, something to cultivate a greater fan base. Mm -hmm. This It's very important to the Rosas regime to, you know, to create a sustainable model and that does include, you know, the business side and and selling tickets and drumming up intrigue within the team. And I think that I think this is one example of that's actually been the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. The the they've had the most hit the most adversity there because as we just talked about for 45 minutes, you know, they're putting in they they're putting in a defensive system, they're putting in an offensive yeah. system, they're developing players doing that. It's I think it's a longer process. To, to fix the fan, you know, uh, to grow the fan base. Winning games, you know, I mean, the cliche, yeah. and that's a, it's, a cliche, it's a cliche because it's accurate. Winning games matters. 
Um, P.J. Fleck probably is the best example of that. I mean, yeah. the Gophers just were, you couldn't give those tickets away. And, you know, obviously it's easier to do in college football because a, one or two big wins will do it for yeah. you. You need to win, you know, many more games in, in especially, well, I would guess Gopher football probably ranks along with the Timberwolves as something and people pretty much mm-hmm. were enormously cynical about. Um, but transparency is clearly one of the ways this organization has not come through for its fans this year, in my view. Um, I, I think they've been a first-class organization in a lot of different ways. I think it's been pretty isolated to this injury stuff, though. Yeah, well... I, uh, feel, like, I feel like Ryan... Has been oh, pretty fun facing, right. and I think earlier in the year before, I mean, maybe I'm just and biased Rosas because good. he because he came and no, did no, this no. podcast. No, no, no. Rosas was like yeah. I said, he gave me uh, probably the uh, yeah. the you know the nut graph quote mm-hmm. uh, that I needed. For but maybe there's just more. There, just, I don't know. I don't know what the answer I, is. Again, I think the answer is being as honest as you possibly can, including saying, yeah. "Oh, you know." We didn't have this. We were wrong about Cat's condition for a week. From now on, yeah. we're going to do this mm-hmm. or whatever. Or this is the situation. We misjudged the situation before or whatever. Admit you were wrong, move forward, change the thing, or explain why you still think yep. you're right or whatever. But to the people who care, and, and I do sense that, you know, uh, as I said, I mean, I get into the games for free. A guy who's having to spend a hundred bucks or whatever totally. to see somebody and they're questionable whether or not he's playing. Well, that maybe sooner or later is going to become a no. And um, and so the next time Cat really is questionable, mm-hmm. he might play, he might not. That person is not going to buy the ticket. He better he better be eligible to play, suiting up before you buy that ticket. Right. And it's also just this, been this weird juxtaposition of he was an Iron Man prior to you know, him Wiggs. and Wiggins, you yeah. know, and those yep. were not that that was the best ticket in town, but those were the best players on this ticket. And right. you kind of, in past seasons, you knew that if you bought a ticket, you were going to at least get to see those two interesting young players. 82 games times three is 246 games. Mm-hmm. Multiply that times two for the two players. And that is 492 games. They collectively missed one in that three years. So out of a potential 492— That was a a game that before I was uh, a media member, I bought a ticket to. I remember (laughs) that. It was uh, Wiggins against the Hornets at home. So 492 possible games, and they sued up for 491 of them. I would say, that's what I'm saying. There's all these weird. And so there you, and all of a sudden now, you know, somebody has the flu and they're out four games. Somebody has a knee where, uh, you know, we were told he's questionable. He might play, he might not, you know, this and this. Um, all of a sudden, a month later, he's almost ready. He just has the flu. So things come full circle. Now I, now I wonder too, is, you know, if Cat has whatever Wiggins had. Yeah, I know. You know how much time is it going to take, exactly. even if the knee's one hundred percent, exactly, to be you know to be all the way back. I mean, I I had heard that he was legitimately close, not like in the thrown candy out close, like going back to the Memphis game, which was 
Well, put it this way, it doesn't help their case when Cat is cavorting on the sidelines. <laughs> I mean, when, when he's out there running out to greet his teammates or he's literally dancing during a big win, yeah. you know, this guy who's questionable because of a sprained knee, uh, yeah, not a good you one. know, he's right in front of us. So the, the, the bench <laughs> is right in front of where we sit in the media, and I'm watching him, you know, and he's jumping off out of his seat. He's not... He's not being tender as he goes from a sitting position to a standing position. Um, now, obviously, that's very different than playing in an NBA game. Yeah. But it it adds to the narrative that we're talking about here. And, you know, it's... I think um, what fans will find is there will be clarity coming soon on what you was going so. on with Cat and also Layman, too. I think that will be... Well, layman, I mean, from everything I understand, turf toe is just one of those things where if you hear it happening, although I heard the same thing about what happened with layman and turf toe when I heard, oh, it's just turf toe, and then these people who know something about medical stuff said to me, no, 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 that's really, really bad. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, okay. And it reminded me when Roko got a bone bruise last year, and I said, a bone bruise? How bad can a bone? Oh, a bone bruise is, <laughs> is you're out almost longer than you are if you break your bone. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm going, oh, okay. So <laughs> so the Wolves have been getting these uh, sneaky, terrible injuries. I think I think Jake will probably take a while because gonna, he's going to then need to get in shape again. It's it's a shame uh, because right around the time everybody will be healthy, it'll be in their interest to tank. <laughs> Maybe. Um, where uh, Before we kind of wrap up, where are you at with this? The, the quote unquote pursuit of the eighth seed and what's kind of transpiring here in this. Oh, I don't. You very know, empty I, I've been pessimistic about this team's playoff yeah. chances from the beginning. You know, and I mean, it's just the freaking Grizzlies are the eighth seed right now. Yeah, and that's because they're a much better team. Yeah, I, I agree, man. But it's just. I think the Timberwolves have not only are they one of the three worst teams in the Western Conference right now. But they probably are in the bottom three in terms of short-term futures. Yeah, like caring about their short-term future, or no, no, like w how good they'll be in a year or two. Okay. Um, oh, I get it. I get it. You know, I mean, if you look at the teams below them, you can paint some really cool scenarios. Right. The Wolves scenario is less cool. Right. That doesn't mean that Rosas can't turn it around. I do have all things considered. Gerson Rosas has my opinion in his corner. He has done a lot of good, positive things yeah. right now. When I was playing poker with my friends the other night and they asked me about the Wolves, some of them are not big fans, and I said I'm relatively optimistic about the way this team is being run, mm -hmm. they were shocked. I mean, because the, you know, the yeah. narrative out there, obviously, is they're not good again. And as I just said, their future right now doesn't look very good. Um, but... I do think, and maybe it's just my bias after going through just so many terrible uh, <laughs> rebuilds that did not make sense to me. This no. rebuild has logic to me. I was going to say, yeah, it feels different. It looks different. There's different things happening. Yeah. I mean, it's All that said, there's no Zion Williamson coming off the IR for this team. Yeah. There is no, uh, you know, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson coming back. Yeah. Um, and there's no John Morant. Uh, who is going to be entering his second season. You're looking at uh, Jarrett Culver entering his second season. Um, so uh, there are going to have to be some 
he's going to have to take some risks, and that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun to see how that works out. I've been on for a while now. I've been, I know the whole trade. I mean, there just there's only been that Exum Clarkson swap, but I I think that this deadline, the Wolves will only be quiet at this deadline if they can't get someone to dance with them. Right. Not it won't be because they're not on the dance floor. If you, if you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I mean, they may even renounce Jeff Teague. Yeah. I mean, I, I've or stretch. Can you stretch him? Well, no, he's an expiring contract. That's so right. You just, you can't, so let's buy him out. Right, 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 I, I, I've, I think I said that in November that mm-hmm. I assume it's right. just it's going to be. You don't need to trade him. Right. Like you're not going to. I, I I wrote it last week. I said I think this how the Jeff Teague thing ends is he gets bought out, he gets picked up by the Lakers, and goes on and wins a championship. I think that's what's <laughs> you get a lot more faith in him than I do. Well, I don't think he's going to have a huge role. Then I owe you lunch. That's true. That's true. We bet on that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I do. I do think. Well, something they're going to rubber's going to meet the road with Keelan Martin. Um, I think they got to they got to make and these sound small, but they got to make decisions. I think on Trevion Graham. Whether or not you want to, you know, have him because I know people don't totally love Trevion Graham, but another team would take a playoff team would take Trevion Graham as their as their ninth guy. He might. There's right. an intrigue in him and right. no, and Noah Vonley also. They right. just Noah don't. Noah Vonley in particular to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that um, I really hope they don't waste that asset if, in fact, they are going to get rid of him because, yeah. People who have been listening to this podcast since the beginning of the year know that I was really down on him. I thought yeah, he would be. A, I thought he'd be a selfish player, and he's been the exact opposite. This is a guy who has kind of gotten screwed around a little totally. bit. Uh, and well, you got to wonder what was he? I mean, he had to have been. What what he the pretense he signed here under has to have been different than what's played out, and I think that might just be as simple as Gorgie. Like they didn't think Gorgie was going to be or, a big piece. I mean, you could spin it another way. The the way they were figuring on using him changed when he changed what he would sign here for because they wanted them for multiple, multiple years. years. Yeah, that's a good point. And he said, oh, "I'm going to bet on myself and take this one year deal." Mm. Well, the problem with betting on maybe yourself, that then triggered them to go get Jordan Bell. I don't know, but yeah. all I, I know, yeah, I, I, know yeah. I do know that. The, the the risk on betting on yourself is it's not in your control. Yep. Anthony Tolliver being exhibit A of that. Anthony Tolliver bet on himself last year coming off a career year. He signed for more money than he had ever signed for, but he didn't lock in like mm. a three-year deal for maybe slightly yeah. less than that that would have you know, would have served him well. I'm sure he signed for less money in Portland than he signed the previous year for the He's Wolves. on minimum, yeah. Yeah, and so there you go, you know. And he's starting sometimes for Portland team on the <laughs> They're middle. a mess. So I know. Yeah. Um, all right. That's Britt. We'll, uh, we, we need to eat lunch and then go to the Timberwolves game. So uh, thank you again for doing this. I really, I really, I, I, I don't know if, if how many people that listen to this podcast subscribe to The Athletic, but I wouldn't say this about every piece, but this is one that's worth, uh, if you care about this team and you're interested about where it's going, it's, it's worth the, the couple bucks to to get in there and and read it because it's it's very informative and I think David Vanderpool is a critical character in this story um, moving forward. So you can check out everything Britt writes at the Athletic, which is all good. Follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. I'm Dane at Dane Moore MBA. Uh, throw me some mailbag questions for my Wednesday mailbag, and I will be back on Thursday with Charlie. Until then. Peace out.
inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.